I had applied for a job. I was super qualified for it. I had three good interviews with the team. I thought I was going to get the job. And then the ED called me and she was just kind of raising all these weird concerns that she didn't have solutions to. She was just thinking out loud. She was demoting me during the job offer. My first question was like, I need to tell them how egregiously wrong this was, especially treating a woman of color, especially for an organization that calls itself progressive. My immediate thought was like, I cannot take this job. These people aren't even valuing me during the hiring conversation. How are they going to treat me once I get there? But like, this was a problem. They should know they can't treat people of color like this. Like they should know they can't you know, treat anyone like this. And that really pushed me to do it because I was like, you know, I want other people from underrepresented communities to feel empowered, to stand up for themselves, to negotiate things well, to understand how the hiring process works. And if I can prevent any other person from going through the experience I did, then it's, it's all worth it. I'm not sure what's worse a rejection letter from the company I had just applied for, or no reply at all. You're listening to Unsween and Unfilter, the podcast, episode 22 of season 3. It's no secret that I have been job hunting for the last few months and to no avail. For the sake of honesty and transparency, I have been receiving one rejection letter after the next from potential employers. Did you know that job search depression is actually a thing? I was reading an article that mentioned how looking for a new job but having zero luck can truly be a bit demoralizing. I wonder if I can highlight my ability to stay standing after receiving X amount of rejection letters as one of my skill sets on my resume. But on a serious note, I recently fell into a black hole of self-doubt and my mental well-being was at an all-time low. And this was all attributed to the fact that I was uncertain about my future in regards to my career. We fail to realize that our emotional and mental health can be greatly impacted because our career is also an indication of who we are. It's a part of our personal identity. Personally, I didn't want to just find a job that pays my bills. Recently, I had released an episode with Alex Fox to discuss how to better align our purpose in life with our passions. Our conversation gave me so much more clarity on what I was seeking, and it was the motivation that I needed to continue pursuing my job search. So in today's episode, I sit down with the incredible Warda Khaled, a political analyst, activist, and a career coach, just to name a few of her notable positions, to discuss the topic of job searching. I realized I needed all the help that I can get, and I wanted to lend these same resources to anyone else out there searching for a new career too. In this conversation, Wada discusses resume do's and don'ts, why cover letters are so important, how to not close the door in our own face, and how to better advocate for ourselves in the interview process. This discussion is jam-packed with so much helpful advice and tips, so while you guys are tuning in, I'll be fixing up my resume. Let's dive in. Thank you so much, Warda, for joining me today. There's something I want to share with you. I actually created my first ever cover letter. I wish you guys could see Warda right now, but at least I did it. Better late than never. But I was like, oh my God, I should have done this a long time ago. I can't wait to get into why cover letters are so important and why you need it, especially when you are trying to apply for different jobs and especially if you're doing a career transition as well. But I would love for you to introduce yourself and then we can get right into it, inshallah. 
Oh my gosh, congratulations on the cover letter. That's super thank exciting. You. So thank you so much for having me, Dunya. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Wartha Khalid. I'm a policy analyst, activist, career coach, and I speak on U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, refugees and immigration, and Islam in America. And I've worn quite a few different career hats. So like you, I started my career in accounting, um, working at Deloitte for three years as a corporate tax accountant. I have my CPA license, the whole shebang. And then I switched over to policy, um, you know, once I saw kind of how around President Obama's election, Islamophobia was really rising up and there really needed to be more diverse people in the policymaking process. It was very clear that foreign policy was affecting our domestic policy when we saw the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, and I wanted to be part of that process. And now I am trying to help other people on their political advocacy journeys as well by career coaching. And yeah, it was uh, it was quite a process uh, to get there. I In between that, I worked in faith-based and NGOs. I worked on Capitol Hill and the federal government. I started my own nonprofit to help Muslims engage with Congress. So I've kind of seen it all. And I was like, oh, you know, I've hired people. I have also, you know, fired people. I've been hired. I've been an employee. Like, I can really help other people out that want to do this, especially people that are underrepresented in these fields. And it's been really great. I've been doing it for about a year. Mashallah, that's an impressive resume. No pun intended, but that is incredible. You have just dominated almost every sector out there. And it's incredible to even have somebody like you in our community to be able to, you know, guide the rest of us who are looking for maybe like a resume brush up or like I said, career transition and whatnot. And I know now you're dabbling in career coaching. And I don't want to say dabbling, you're Mashallah, an expert on this because through lived experience, I know you shared with me a story, something that really, really kind of triggered you to want to become a career coach and help those who are underrepresented especially women in the job fields or whatever in the corporate field. Sometimes we can't find our own voice. And I think it's time that we stop saying sorry and that we kind of make space for ourselves and we take up space. But I would love to hear your story as to why you really want to become a career coach and how you found this career path. Yeah, absolutely. That is a great question. And my very first video actually was Women Stop Saying Sorry. Yes. So you really hit the nail on the head. I'm trying my best with that, by the way. And and you know what? <laughs> Honestly, there's a lot of different detours to take conversing with your manager. You don't have to say, I apologize. It almost kind of makes you be yeah. the victim when you know you shouldn't feel that way in the workforce. Yeah. And when it is time to say sorry, it makes your sorry all the more impactful because, yeah, you really mean it. It's not just like an adjective that you're using all the time. Right. So, yeah, it's really important to do that. But, yeah, we'll we we'll can get into that. But as far <laughs> as my own personal story, I had applied for a job after my fellowship on the Hill. I was super qualified for it. I met pretty much every single requirement, which I've talked about in my videos. Like you don't have to meet every requirement to apply a job, but I pretty much did. And it was a manager position, which is what I had held before I had gotten to the Hill. So I knew the title and everything and the, and the level was right. I had three good interviews with the team. I thought I was going to get the job. And then the ED called me to offer me the job. But it was the weirdest hiring conversation I had ever had. And as somebody who hires people regularly for my nonprofit, I know what that conversation is supposed to look like. As somebody who has been hired by other organizations, I know that conversation is supposed to be a really positive conversation. Like, we're excited to have you. But this was so weird. She was saying things to me like, can you do critical thinking? And I'm like, we just had three interviews talking about how I like started my own organization and can build out this program that you want me to build out. And you're asking me if I can do critical thinking. And she was just kind of raising all these weird concerns that she didn't have solutions to. She was just thinking out loud, kind of. And then finally, she said like one nice thing to me, like, 
oh, I got excited when I saw that you write op-eds, like your opinion articles are great. I'm like, okay, cool. And yeah, we want to offer you the job, but you know, we're looking for somebody with this much experience and you have like the lower end of that. And then, you know, we're actually hiring another position that has kind of the lower end of that. And there, that title is going to be this title and we can offer you like the lowest salary or something. And she was demoting me during the job offer. And I was shocked. I had never experienced that before. Nowhere during my interview had they mentioned that I wasn't qualified or that I didn't have enough experience. And she was completely underrepresenting my experience too. She was only counting the time I had been in DC. But the thing is my corporate experience my media experience, my policy experience, all of that applied to this job, even if I was doing it outside DC. I was just utterly shocked. And, you know, I tried to negotiate a little bit during the call, but she wasn't budging. And so finally, I was just like, okay, I'm just gonna have to think about it. And she was like, okay, and she gave me to a few days. And I hung up the phone. And I my immediate thought was like, I cannot take this job. These people aren't even valuing me during the hiring conversation. How are they going to treat me once I get there? Thankfully, I had just finished like a six month intense emotional intelligence leadership training program. And one of the things that I was constantly told was, whether you are super powerful, you need to stand in your power. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to stand in my power by speaking truth to power right now. Love that. I, I did my due diligence first, but I, I thought in my, like my first question was like, I need to tell them how egregiously wrong this was, especially treating a woman of color, especially for an organization that calls itself progressive. Why are you treating me like this? And so thankfully, I had somebody that worked there that was a director level who knew me from another position that I had held in DC. I talked to her about it. And she was like, yeah, this is really wrong. This is not how my hiring conversation went. You know, when you write that email to them, CC me, and I'm going to talk to them about it, because this is an institutional problem that we need to fix. So thankfully, I had that kind of reassurance in my back pocket. And then I wrote them a 760 word email highlighting all the reasons. No, that I could not <laughs> accept this position. And this is feedback that you need to consider because I was 100% qualified. I could hit the ground running with this. You guys are making ridiculous excuses, trying not to demote me from a title that I've held before. So there's no reason I shouldn't get it again. And then I sent it off and I felt you know, I was so upset about it emotionally. Like it, it's hard to be that strong. It's not easy. It's not like I wake up in the morning and be like, who, who can I like kick down today? It was, it was hard. I actually, you know, had to go home and visit my family because I was just so upset that I had worked so hard to be in DC to change my career. And then this is how I was being treated for a position that was not even a stretch job for me. I was super qualified for it. And I don't know why I was treated like that. And I've talked to other women, women of color and Muslim women about it since then. And some of them tell me that, well, this is just kind of a DC thing. Other people say, yeah, this is how they treat women of color. I don't know. You know, I don't, I'm not in their heads. I don't know the answer. I just know that I was treated wrongly and I'm really glad I stood up for myself and maybe it would have, I don't know if it other closed other doors for me because I know like somebody was working in my current office was not happy with the way I handled that and was like, you should have just said thanks, but no thanks. And I was like, but like, this was a problem. They should know they can't treat people of color like this. Like they should know they can't, you know, treat anyone like this. It's not in my nature to stay quiet. And then, okay, so that's why I started career coaching because I was like, I had been thinking of doing a series online during COVID. You know, everyone comes up with a new COVID project and that was mine. And that really pushed me to do it because I was like, you know, I want other people from underrepresented communities to feel empowered, to stand up for themselves, to negotiate things well, to understand how the hiring process works. And 
if I can prevent any other person from going through the experience I did, then it's it's all worth it. It definitely is. And I really, really want to thank you just on behalf of me and maybe other a lot of other colored women who have to face this. And some of us probably walked away in silence. And I think it's so courageous of you to do that. But at the same time, it's like, I also value the fact that you said, yes, you're strong, but why do I have to deal with this? Yeah, like you can be strong, but sometimes you just don't want to take on every battle. And yeah. sometimes you even question why these battles exist. Like, it sounds like you never even got the closure that you wanted. Like, did they even ever respond back or did they just think it's uh whatever they actually did respond which my friends were shocked to hear and I think it's because I had that inside person who spoke to them and they just wrote me a a polite reply back that was you know thank you for your feedback I will consider it and thank you for taking the time during the interview process and best of luck or something like that so I don't know if they learned their lesson or not but I did what I had to do so but I hope that it causes a ripple effect I hope that other women can also stand up for themselves so I think it's so powerful that you did that you know just because something is common doesn't mean that we need to normalize it. Just because it's supposedly common for women in D.C., women of color in D.C. to be treated this way doesn't mean that we should yes. normalize that and allow other people to treat us that way. So, again, like this is a huge feat that you were able to take on, especially because it would have also caused collateral damage. So thank you so much. Warda. It's like, here's your hardship here. You faced it. But look what other door you've opened for others, because now you're also sharing your career coaching tips and advice with other women because it kind of pushed you more and motivated you more to do this. I can't wait to start this conversation. I I think also because I'm at a pivotal point in my career, just like you, I was, I am an accountant, but I want to transition out of accounting. Do I know exactly what I want to do? It's really hard. It's really difficult because I think we're just so multifaceted and there's just a lot that I feel like has changed when it comes to applying for new jobs or or whatnot. Because again, I've been in the accounting field for almost eight years now. So that's a long time of not interviewing anywhere else. So I want to start with our resumes. I feel like there's just so many new do's and don'ts, so many things that I have to catch up with, especially when it comes to resumes, especially when I've had incredible women share their resumes with me. And I'm like, oh my God, it looks completely different than my resume. And I'm like, am I just using the boring standard layout or is this supposed to like catch somebody's eye? I'm not sure. So I would just love to just catch up with you in regards to resume do's and don'ts. What are the top do's and don'ts that we need to apply when we do put together our resume and we are submitting our resume to future job applications? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So I think the number one tip I have for resumes is make sure that it is concise. I see too long resumes for people that have only a few years of experience. And let me tell you, as a hiring manager, I get annoyed at that. If you have 10 years of experience or less, you should have a one page resume. So that's the rule. Like every 10 years, you can add a page. I've been working for over 10 years. My resume is still a page. And the reason I can do this is because I have different resumes for different types of jobs. So if I'm applying to a media job, it's going to look a little bit different from my policy resume. It's going to look a little different from, let's say I went to a corporate route or something. Like, you know, every single resume is going to look different. It doesn't mean you need to have 10 resumes, but if you're applying to different types of industries or jobs, then you need to, you know, switch it up a little bit. And not every single experience that you do actually needs to be on your resume. I just did a career workshop last week where I was talking to people about this, about how, you know, you can move volunteer positions down to the bottom of your resume or, you know, have just a few lines. You don't need to give too much detail. If they're interested in it, they will ask about it. But you need to have specifics about, you know, what did you do at your jobs or volunteer positions? What was your specific action? How did you contribute? What are the numbers that you contributed to? How much money did you bring in? Or how many people did you organize? Those are the kinds of things that hiring managers like to see. So lead with words of action and really be clear about what you did in different positions 
and don't try to crowd the resume too much. I say do not make it smaller than a 10 size font and at least have half inch margins. And then please space out things, even with if you do it with a five inch space, not the full 10 inch space, please do that at least because there needs to be some, you know, space so that when the eye falls on the resume, they can see it clearly and like be like, okay, here's the thing they've done. Here's their volunteer. Here's their skills, education, boom. Don't make them go on a treasure hunt on your resume. So make sure it's organized, clear, concise. And yeah, I think that's the best way to go. So I actually had a great friend. Her name is Samaya. She's actually from DC. And she connected me with a friend of hers who looked over my resume. And oh my gosh, it needed a whole update (laughs) renovation from start to finish. Because here I am applying possibly for media relation jobs, public relation jobs, but I'm just only highlighting like my financial background without applying my skills, what I learned from my financial background onto like this future potential job. I was just showing myself as this is me. I'm an accountant. Figure out how I can like become a media relations republic. <laughs> it's like I was putting all the work on the hiring manager. Explains why I was getting all these rejection letters in the beginning. So it's just it's a few tweaks. And right now my resume is at one page. So yes, and there is also spacing. And she also said you don't need 10 bullet points for every position you've held. And that goes back to your point where you said be very concise. And it's true. I looked at some of the things. I'm like, it sounds a little repetitive. It was so unnecessary for me to have these 10 bullet points. It just sounds like just a bunch of gibberish. No hiring manager wants to read all that. So that was incredible in itself that I was able to kind of update my resume. And one thing that I feel like I struggle with, and I don't know maybe if others struggle with it, or it's just it comes with the fact that this is a resume. How can I make my resume more personable than, hey, I was a mutual fund account for eight years. That's it. Like, how can I make myself seem more exciting, more a team player and whatnot? Like, what are some things that I can kind of, I guess, highlight more in order for me to allow my personality to show through my resume? That is a great question. So I would say that the portion of your resume that can go to skills and volunteer experiences is a great place to show that kind of work. So I remember when I first got to DC, I was applying for a fellowship in the national security foreign policy space. And I had under my skills and volunteer experiences that I had been a radio show host. So I actually hosted this show on One Legacy Radio called Reality Check. That was a current affairs show. And it just so happened that the chair of the board that was interviewing me also used to do radio. And he was like, oh, oh, I see you do radio. I used to do radio, you know, and we had this fun conversation about it. If I hadn't put that on there, we would never have talked about that. So that is a really great place to put those kinds of extra things that you're doing. So for you, you could put your podcast there and talk about all of the different people you reach or the types of guests you have had. And it just lets people know that you're doing. I sometimes see people put things like tennis or sports or things like that, which is fine. But that's more of a hobby. If you're trying to transition, you need to show a little bit more than that, than that you're just dabbling in something. So I think putting like a radio show or podcast or something, you can also show clubs that you're a part of. There's There are clubs for adults, which are like professional organizations, right? So on my resume, I've got, I did this fellowship. I'm part of this network. I was one of these leaders recognized. That's a great way to show kind of like, who are the people that you are surrounded with. It also gives the people that are hiring you maybe some comfort if they've heard of kind of these institutions around the city, around the country that they're that they're a part of. So I would say that for sure, skills, volunteer experiences. Yeah. And then volunteer experiences. What are places that, where do you spend your time outside work doing? You know, what are you, are you volunteering at a media place? Are you volunteering at a policy place? Like what are you showing that these skills that you have outside of your day-to-day job? So I would say that's a really good, great way to show your personality. I think people often think of like legally blonde 
blonde where like the resume is pink and scented and no <laughs> I would not recommend that I I mean, that would definitely stand out <laughs> yeah it would definitely stand out they're all electronic anyway but I think people would might just laugh at you even though it's cute but yeah I've never seen any pink resumes so I would just keep it to kind of the content to be creative and then if you are applying for your creative field you can make your resume look a little more creative I've seen that for sure for like media jobs that I hire for or I've coached people through like you know education jobs things are more creative they can kind of move the format a bit and make it look prettier but I think if you're applying like there's nothing wrong with having the straight regular 10.5 black and white resume the friend that was looking over my resume, hers just looked exciting to me. It popped out and I just loved how she laid it out. But again, yeah, she's in media relations and she's in so much. And you mentioned earlier how you said like you kind of almost have a different resume for different roles. And that makes sense. It's it's you're catering to the position that you're applying for. I think I want to kind of go back to the layout again. Do we need to have an objective at the beginning? Do we have our volunteer and skills all the way on the bottom and then like our work experience and education in the middle? What's the best layout, do you think, just generally? And then I also want to talk about what if like, like for some of those who just, you know, graduated college, they have no work experience. What can they add and include in their resume if they want to start applying for internships and jobs? Regarding the objective, you don't have to have an objective, but if you want to, that's fine. It just needs to be short. I've seen people write entire paragraphs of objectives and that's not helpful. You basically use the objective to show that it's like one or two sentences showing that you have the right experiences and you're a good fit for the position. I would say people who are trying to change careers take advantage of that objective kind of part to explain why you're changing careers. Again, keep it in one or two sentences. You could say, you know, you are a you know financial or accounting professional that is leveraging your creative skills to move into the media space, whatever, you know, however you want to say it for yourself. But I think that is what you would want to do for objective regarding the rest of the layout. So the way that I teach people to do it is having professional experiences up top, then moving to volunteer positions, then moving to skills and then moving to education at the bottom. But this is because I've been further out of school. So my kind of general rule of thumb is if you are a recent graduate, put your education on the top underneath the objective um, or before professional experiences because you're recently out of school. So you're going to be looking for more kind of entry level positions. So your education is going to matter a lot. Like what did you do while you were in school? What classes did you take? What was your major? What was your GPA? Those kinds of things are pretty important to people who are hiring entry level positions. Once you get further out, like five, 10 years, you can take the year of graduation off. You can move the education down to the bottom because now you've built a professional record that is going to speak way better to your abilities than your education will. Not that the education is irrelevant. It's definitely still relevant, but it's not as relevant as what you've been doing. So I would say that for the layout. So for students or recent grads, that advice really applies to them where they would start that at the top and then also really highlight the clubs that you did while you were in school. Did you write for the school newspaper? Were you a part of a student organization? Did you lead something? Did you work on any big projects as part of your school, either academically or extracurricularly? And then also filling out the skills and volunteer space um, and showing kind of what you're capable of. Sometimes jobs ask for writing samples. So if you can show something you did in school, like a paper or something that you wrote, that's a good example too. So it's really going to be about what you did in school versus like what you did professionally, which you might not have that much experiences aside from a few internships 
which is fine because you're entry level. So people who are hiring are expecting that. These are great tips. Lada. That's incredible. I didn't even thought about, you know, the layout for a student to be that way because it brings me back to my like first ever resume. Yes, like there was a lot of bullet points under my education because that's when I was in clubs. That's when I really didn't have that many experiences really. So I felt like I had to kind of like show them what I was or who I was in college and, you know, how I, I guess how my skills that I learned in college can apply to this internship. So that's incredible in itself. And then when it comes to those of us who are possibly transitioning careers, I guess, like, yes, like you said, start with the objective. I want to get into cover letters. Like I said, I outed myself right now, but I put together my first ever cover letter and your jaw dropped, which I do not blame you. I mean, how many resumes do these hiring managers see every single day? Imagine them being presented with a one page real quick cover letter that kind of like, again, it highlights all of my skills that pertain to this job. So I think I was doing myself such a huge disservice by submitting my resume without a cover letter whatsoever, especially because I am transitioning careers. So somebody with a mutual fund account, you know, background, how can I sell myself to, again, a company that's media relations or a nonprofit organization? So why are cover letters very important? And what should we include in our cover letters? That is a great question. Cover letters are so, so important if you're transitioning careers, because that is your opportunity to tell your story about why it is that you want to transition careers. You obviously shouldn't spend the whole cover letter doing that, but like the first paragraph or a couple of sentences should be spent on that because you want to explain like, why are you applying for this position that you technically don't look like you are in the same field of, right? So that is an opportunity. I also know when I'm hiring people, somebody who submits a cover letter shows a lot more better than somebody who didn't submit a cover letter because you took the extra effort to look up the job title, write that down, write down the position you're applying for because it's very easy to just shoot your resume at a different, a lot of different places. But if you took the time to write a cover letter, that shows a little bit extra effort. Now, whether somebody's going to look at your cover letter really depends on the industry and what the competition is. So for instance, where I was working on the Hill, they want a cover letter, but I mean, I just learned this from, um, I was doing a session with the legislative director this past week and she was like, they only look at your first paragraph. And I was like, what? That's not what another chief of staff told me. Like she went through my cover letter and like, you know, fixed the whole thing. But she was like, yeah, it's just the first paragraph. So you have like literally one paragraph to make a standout effort where you have to include a certain formula of things. So it's really going to depend on the industry of who looks. But by and large, you should have a cover letter. And I'm always surprised, which is why my jaw dropped. But literally during one of my (laughs) workshops, somebody asked me the same thing. Like, so cover letters are still a thing. And I'm like, yes, they're still a thing. Uh, I'm just shocked that people I don't know where this who started this rumor that they're not a thing, but they're a thing. So I think for cover letters, it's really an opportunity to show, you know, who you are, what is your name, why are you interested in the position, what makes you a really good fit, and then talk about the experiences that you have that match the qualifications that they are looking for so you can make a really easy connect. Again, like you said, it's about doing the work for them, not making them make the connections themselves. This is your opportunity to say, hey, while I was working in this mutual fund position, I actually worked with a client on this package, which relates to these skills that you are looking for, right? You don't need to say it so explicitly, but you can say, I have these skills from my experience working as X. And you want to keep it also to one page at the end of the cover letter, you know, reiterate that you're excited about the position, you welcome an interview, or you are looking forward to hearing from them. And that's really it. It's it's just really simple. It doesn't need to be long. I'm not saying that I haven't hired people that had longer cover letters, 
but I didn't read their whole four page, three page cover letter in detail. Like I was just like, all right, that, at that point I looked at their resume then I was like, all right, what do they have? But I had the time. If I was going through a zillion resumes and cover letters, maybe I would not have, I don't know, given them the time of day. Cause I was like, this is a really long cover letter and resume. I don't know how I can get through this when somebody gave it to me more efficiently. So I think it's about efficiency and communication. Exactly. I feel like a cover letter should not be just you repeating your resume word for word all over again. I mean, that's the whole purpose of your resume. So what I did in my cover letter is I highlighted the fact that I was a lead, a department lead for so many of our like projects and so many of our working committees and working groups. So that showed that like I can also work outside of mutual fund accounting. And this is how I, you know, showcase my leadership skills, showcase my ability to fundraise, showcase my ability to do so many other things outside of just being a mutual fund accountant. So it was such a pleasant experience to do a cover letter. It was more fun than putting a resume together. So yes. <laughs> again, it was out of pure laziness. And that was horrible because it makes sense. Like it just now hiring manager would only see that. Like they want somebody that is putting in the effort. I want to talk about now, okay, we have our resume. We have our cover letter. How do I apply for a job? What are some job boards that you recommend? What are some like avenues that we can take that, again, we can apply and send our resumes to? I feel like right now what I'm focusing on is LinkedIn, but I don't know if there are other ways to apply for a job. That's a really good question. Um, LinkedIn is a good way to find jobs, but I will tell you LinkedIn is a very mass website. So you're not gonna find like the smaller, more personalized jobs there. It also costs a lot to post on LinkedIn. I think it was like $400 for my nonprofit to post like one job on there, oh, wow. which is a lot. Yeah, versus like other websites like Idealist and Indeed are like $25. So there's gonna be a lot more postings on places like Idealist and Indeed. It really just depends on the industry you're looking for. Not to knock LinkedIn, I think they have good positions, but it's a lot of times going to be posted by bigger organizations that have bigger budgets for recruiting. And if you are looking for like a nonprofit or some sort of like smaller position, idealist is a good one. Indeed kind of has like all of it, which you can go to. Um, It has both like corporate and nonprofit sector. And then there's like industry specific job boards that you should be looking at. So if you are looking at a foreign policy job, there's a great website called globaljobs.org that has positions that are based abroad and positions based in the U.S. that you can look at. And it ranks them by experience level, entry level, mid-career, you know, advanced. There's also other listservs like I'm on one called Jobs for Inspiring People. So they've got media jobs on there. They've got climate change jobs on there. They've got nonprofit jobs on the advocacy jobs on there. Everything and everything kind of goes on there. And then I'm part of other like professional groups. I'm in part of this group called Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. People post jobs on there. I'm part of this network called Truban National Security Network. People post jobs on there. So like really whatever industry you're in, try to find the professional listservs that exist or that you're looking to get into and get on those lists. Those are where you're going to find the best jobs. And then also, obviously, the best ones, if somebody in your personal network reaches out and says like, hey, there's this job, or you have somebody that you see works at an org that you're excited about, and you can ask them about the job in more detail and see if it's a good fit. So even Facebook, I was, I mean, I just started a consulting position and I saw I posted a couple places, but one of my friends works there and she had posted on this like Facebook group that I'm part of called DC Ladies, where people are posting oh, everything that. from like housing to jobs to roommates to, you know, everything. So it really is just about keeping your eyes and ears open to the right spaces. 
That's incredible because I I never heard of Idealist. I knew of Indeed. I knew of LinkedIn. But it's also important that you also join these smaller clubs and these smaller groups because there's just so there's like a plethora of job positions. I've noticed that as well because, again, I've been vocal about my job search. So, so many incredible women via social media have just been emailing me job positions because, again, like me, somebody being an accountant, all I'm receiving is emails from recruiters for incredible accounting positions. But that's not what I want right now. So imagine somebody who is in the position that I want. She's receiving a plethora, again, of emails emails with job openings like that. So they're sending it over to me, but they're also telling me like, hey, be a part of this newsletter, be a part of this group. They're posting jobs all the time. So you have to be active. Like it's a job in itself to find a job. And again, it goes back to how much you really want it. I want to talk about how like it's important to also be vocal about also searching for a job because again, I wouldn't have had all these resources. To a certain extent, you should be vocal. Obviously, you don't want to ruin your current position right now or whatever employer you have, but it's also important to just network with others and be a referral because being a referral, it's almost like the VIP section of applying for a job versus just being a general applicant that's just submitting your resume and your cover letter. You're somebody without a face and they don't know who you are. Yeah, that's a really good point. The best chances you have for getting a job you apply for is if you have that personal referral, right? And the more you have, the better it actually is. So yes, if somebody who you know sends you a job, you apply, definitely let them know you applied and ask them to flag your resume. If you haven't already had them send it to you, you can go to LinkedIn and see who do you know that works at that organization or is connected to somebody who works at that organization and ask them to flag your resume because jobs are very competitive, especially right now post-COVID or transitioning out of COVID. Every Everybody is finally moving because those people who had jobs were holding on to them for dear life during COVID. I know because I was, you know, finishing my Hill Fellowship and it was so hard to find jobs. And thankfully, our office has kept us on longer. But we were like, what's happening? Like nobody is hiring. And now right now it's like every day in my inbox, I get so many jobs that people are hiring for. So definitely you want to take advantage of those personal connections. It's crazy that people think that you know, you don't have to actually put in the work. It is a full-time job to find a job. One piece of advice that somebody gave me was like, you should be applying every day to a job. And I did not like that because I understand she was in DC. She works on the Hill and she was telling me because very DC is very slow, right? So if you apply to a job here, you might get to start a year later or two years later. It's very slow. So I get what she was saying, but I was like, nah, man, I'm burnt out from applying to jobs. I'm not going to just apply to it. I want to get somewhere. I want to sit there at least for six months or a year and be happy exactly. and, and not do that. But, you know, she has a point that it's it's a very rigorous process that you have to keep working at and, and really going for actively. And if you don't do that, then that's going to l- decrease your chances of landing something that you're really excited about. That brings me to the thought of like, I caught myself doing this and I heard that that's like a big no-no, applying at multiple roles at one company. So I don't know if I was doing this out of just the fact that, and this is also another thing that I heard that it's like, don't focus so much on why you want to leave your current role, rather focus on the fact of this potential job opening is a good fit for you. So I felt like my so desperate to leave my current role that I'm applying at so many different roles, even sometimes catching myself doing it all at one company. Like, is that a bad look? Like, are they going to look at me like she's just all over the place? She's applying at all these, these <laughs> different positions. Like, does she think she could do it all type of thing? Also brings me into how do I know if I'm qualified for the job that I'm applying for? I think oftentimes we t- we discuss this offline or the, that sometimes we close the door in our own faces before even giving ourselves a chance that we could be qualified. So I, I just felt like all those things kind of tie in together. But I guess starting out at with knowing the fact that like, hey, make sure that you're a good fit for this company. And is it OK to apply for multiple roles at one company. 
I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing to apply for multiple roles. I've definitely had people who have applied for different roles for when I was hiring. Um, they were at different times, but they were like close to each other so that I recognized the name like, oh, this person applied there. To me, it showed that they were really interested in the organization and they were willing to do whatever. Obviously, if it's at the same time, then maybe pick something or just put in your cover letter that you're applying for both positions and you would be excited to do either one and you kind of let them make the decision. So I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing if you apply to like two positions at once. Obviously, if you apply to more than that, yeah, it might look like you're a little bit scatterbrained and you're literally trying to do everything. So make sure it makes sense as to why you're doing it. Like if one is like a program assistant versus like an associate level or something like where it's just like a little bit change in responsibility, then yeah, it makes sense to apply for both. You can do that. It's it's totally fine. And so this is a really interesting question about qualification. So I have a video on this about should I apply for that job? I talk in there about this study that was quoted by Sheryl Sandberg in her book, um, where she talks about women in the workplace and how they just need to lean in, which is kind of problematic because it takes way more than that to like get your voice heard. But she was talking about how our women wait until they are 100% qualified to apply for a job, whereas men only wait for 60 percent qualification. And I talk about how this is, you know, based on one study by Hewlett Packard. So it's not entirely accurate. And then I quote a study by LinkedIn that's like actually gives stats based on women and men looking at jobs on their website and how many actually apply. And it says that men apply for more jobs that they look at and women apply less into less stretch jobs. But women who actually apply are more likely to be hired. So this just shows that, I mean, and that could be because, well, they wait till they're 100% qualified and then obviously they would be a great shoe in But it just shows like there is a difference between how much men and women are applying to jobs that they see. And my personal take is you do not need to be 100% qualified to apply to a job. Obviously, the more qualifications you have, the stronger you are. I would say, like for me personally, I wait to like 75%, 80% qualified. It's still you know, higher than that 60% that they quoted. But that's just what it takes personally for me to feel comfortable. But I also know as somebody who hires people that I don't expect the person coming into a job to know every single thing. I know that they're going to learn some on the job. And that's totally fine. As long as they know how to do the bulk of the work and don't need us to micromanage every little thing or basic skills for the job, then it's fine. It's really about who's excited about the mission of the organization, who's enthusiastic, who has the hard skills to make it happen. And if there's something that they don't know, they can learn it on the job. So I would say, you know, don't close the door on yourself. I think women do this a lot. Do not close the door on yourself. Apply. There is nothing lost in applying or trying for something that you think you would be good at or you would be interested in. And then let them decide on it. Don't close it on yourself. Make sure that you are not closing any doors and and you're doing your best to put yourself out there. Yeah, we're going to talk about rejection in a bit. Thank you for that advice. You know, I was having this discussion also with my sister who, you know, during COVID, she just took a year off. You know, she wasn't happy with the job that she had at that moment. But she talked me. She's like, do not allow this new job to be a rebound to your old job. She's like, you have to look at your job that you have currently as much as you probably hate it. Look at all the pros that it has and make sure that the new job kind of matches those because her applying now for a whole year, she's been applying to jobs. She's been getting interviews, but she wasn't satisfied with the places or maybe like even the compensation or anything like that. And now with her being so patient and very diligent and making sure that like I get the job that I want, that I truly, truly want, I can see myself staying there for five years or so. She finally got the job that she wanted, like her dream job. I'm 
I'm like, subhanAllah, like, oh, it's awesome, so Michelle. awesome. Like, I was like, man, like, she never really gave up or anything like that. And I'm like, oh my God, I get a few rejection letters that I'm giving up already. <laughs> but it's incredible. And I was like, that's such incredible advice. Like, do not allow your new job to be the rebound to your old job. Like, make sure that you're not going to be miserable at this new job as well. Because again, we said it, it's a job in itself to apply to jobs. I want to talk about now how to ace an interview. So we have our resume, we have our cover letter, we got our foot in the door, but you know, how can we ace our interview? Like, what are some ways that we can really stand out in our interview? I feel like obviously they loved our resume, something stood out to them. So how can we show up as our full selves in the interview process? So one thing about interviews that people should remember is that it's not only an opportunity for them to interview you, you, but it's an opportunity for you to interview them, right? So you guys are both figuring out if you're a good fit. You can figure out vibes and if you mesh with somebody really quickly during an interview. So don't discount that when you're there. Like if you just get a bad feeling, even though the job sounds great, you know, don't work there because you're going to be working there with those people. Um, you want to make sure it's somebody that you feel comfortable with. So as far as acing interviews, interviews, I think my number one tip is to be confident. You know, there's a reason you were given an interview. You are qualified for it. Go in with your best foot forward and be confident about your skills and ability and do the regular things that show that like sit up straight or, you know, even if you're on a Zoom call, make eye contact, look at the camera instead of like looking down at yourself. I have a video about acing interviews, including virtual interviews that talks about these things. Um, so people can look at that if they'd like. And these are all on your social media on Instagram, right? Yeah, these are on Instagram. I have reels and IGTVs with them so they can look at that for really specific tips. Please read over your resume before you go into an interview because that's what they're going to ask exactly. you about. <laughs> like, no way backwards and forwards. No, be like, yeah, I think I said that. No, no, no. You need to, you need to know what you said because that's all they know you from. And be able to have good questions at the end. I think it's pretty disappointing when I am interviewing somebody and they tell me they have no questions at the end for me because I'm like, did you even bother to take an interest in what this, like, why are you in this interview if you don't have any questions about it? So always prepare that in advance and answer every question briefly, but succinctly. So I think sometimes people have a tendency to ramble because they think more words equals better, but that's not the case, especially you know, for people like me who like really are sh straightforward and to the point, like I would get so annoyed if somebody's rambling. I've had interviews where my team has had to cut people off and be like, I'm sorry, you know, this is a limited amount of time. Like we have to get to the next question. And that's kind of embarrassing because it means that you didn't, you're not self-aware enough to know that you're rambling. There's only something you can say. And one like good feedback that I've gotten from positions that I've applied for is like, they're like, you were the best interview. You answered everything's like straightforward, but comprehensively. And that's exactly what you want to hear. So I think keeping it short, sweet, focused, be confident, check out the vibes, ask people questions that you want to know the answer to and make it make sure it's thoughtful. Yeah, I would say those things are the key ones. So I think a lot of people, they try to prepare their answers to questions such as what are your weaknesses? Tell me about yourself. Why are you leaving your current job? And why do you want to work for us? And why I think these are like the four key questions like I guess like for me what are your weaknesses it's always tricky because you don't want to look like you're weak you want to always present yourself as an asset and not a liability but there's a way like for me I guess in this instance for example I would respond with you know oftentimes I would see myself as almost kind of taking on too much of a workload and not that I it would be very like close to me not being able to meet my deadline but I always ended up meeting my deadline but again I would get to that burnout stage I wouldn't tell them burnout but just in general and then what I learned is 
that it actually shows leadership when you delegate tasks, when you're able to say, hey, you know what, like I signed up for this, but at this moment I'm taking care of these other projects and they're taking a little bit more of my time than what I anticipated. Do you mind taking this task on for me? So I had to have this discussion with my manager because she's like, you know, it's your, it's incredible. She's like, anytime I throw a project out there, she's like, you're the first to grab it. But she's like, you're just grabbing so much. She's like, how are you able to handle it? She's like, I just want to give you a tip. She's like, the best way to show leadership is to be able to delegate tasks. She's like, do not ever as a woman even think that you're weak and that you weren't able to handle the workload. She's like, do not have that mindset. And that always stuck with me. And I feel like maybe for me, that's the way that I would answer it. What are some other great ways, not specific, but some other great ways that we can answer that question? Like, what are your weaknesses? That is an excellent question. And I would start by saying, yes, those questions that you highlighted that are very common, definitely have an answer prepared for all of those before you go in. That is just common sense. You you know, you're going to be asked that be sure you know how to answer it. As far as the weakness question, you know, I really don't like this question that much. I don't even really ask it when I'm interviewing people because you have to come up with some sort of ambivalent kind of response that's not too bad, but it's like bad enough to show it's a weakness. But I mean, people are inevitably going to be asked this still. So let's answer that. I think that what you gave as an example of taking on too much workload is a really good example because it shows that you're a hard worker and you're learning. And that's really what answering that question is about. It's like, what do you recognize as something that you could improve on? And what are you doing to improve on it? What are you doing to better yourself? So another thing is like, people will say, oh, I'm kind of a perfectionist and I'll hold on to a project for, you know, too long rather than getting it out the door faster. And I'm learning to like, kind of give myself grace and, you know, be okay with just having like a great product instead of like an amazing product in order to be efficient. So those are things where you, you can answer it kind of like that, right? It's like, that's what I've seen is, you know, or you could say like, I'm a workaholic. I mean, every employer would love to hear that you're a workaholic, but you know, they don't. But then at the same time, you don't want a workaholic on your team because you will get burnt out. That's why your manager came to you and told you that because you might be great for her now, but in a month or two, you probably won't be performing at all. And then she's going to be like, great, now I got to deal with this. So as long as you can show that it's something that you can overcome or you're working to overcome, I think that's a really good answer to that question. So what should we mention? Like, what are some key points to mention when we say like, or when they ask us, like, tell us about yourself? Like, do we mention our the most recent work experience? Do we mention our education? Do we mention our volunteer? Like, what parts of our resume should we highlight in that moment? Again, to be concise, though. I would say kind of use what you put in your cover letter because you already kind of did the work of pulling things out of your resume that you think are relevant for the position. So summarize that cover letter in like two to three sentences. Again, you don't want to be too long. I've had people tell me their whole you know, resume story. And then I'm like, no, I don't have time for this. Just be like, the way that I kind of introduced myself at the beginning of this podcast is a really great way to introduce yourself. And then you would just add And I'm really interested in this position. I saw this position was open. I was super excited because I'm looking to move my career into this direction. I'm looking to gain more work experience in this. And yeah, that's why I'm here today. So thank you so much for meeting with me. And that's really it. You know, it's it's just about communicating why you're excited, communicating what makes you qualified and who you are. It was incredible the way you did introduce yourself. It was like, what, 30 seconds or less. And the way you even transitioned between the different career paths, because you started out with accounting, then you showcased how you went from accounting to all the other jobs or X, Y, and Z jobs. So that was incredible. I was able to follow along. You don't want somebody that's like, wait, how did you get to this point? You want them to be able to follow along with your career path. But again, in a clear and concise manner, is it appropriate to send a follow-up email, I guess, after you've had your interview? Do you just send a thank you note? Is it necessary to send a follow-up email just to thank the hiring manager and whatnot, just to maybe be like kind of have a lasting memory on them as well? 
Yes, I think follow-up thank you notes are great. They're not required. So I know some people might think they are. As I know like when I was hiring for a position, then my manager who was hiring, she was like, this person said a thank you note. This person didn't. And she was like, am I old school that I think people need to send thank you notes? I was like, yeah. Unfortunately, when it's virtual interviews, I mean, this is during COVID, most people are not going to send a thank you note. So if you actually send one, it makes you stand out. Obviously, when you go for an in-person interview, people are more likely to send a follow-up email and say thank you just because, you know, it's a lot more effort to like go to a place sit there and so I'm like, let me uh, make sure they know that I was there and I'm thankful for that. So yeah, definitely if you can send a follow-up thank you note, but I've definitely done interviews and not sent it because I just got busy and then I still got the job. So it was okay. So I think it's an extra nicety, but it's not required for these virtual ones. If you do an in-person, then please, yeah, go ahead and send that in-person or sorry, that email. Thank you. No. Let's talk about rejection. Honestly, I had a bad week like a few weeks ago because I I was just getting one rejection letter after the next again, because I didn't have a cover letter. I'm pretty sure that's like the magic sauce, (laughs) but it was just, it was disappointing to receive all these rejection letters. I I mean, they're not technically rejections, just more so like, Hey, I don't think you're a good fit. We'll keep you in mind for other potential opportunities within our company. So how have you handled rejection? And does confidence kind of also play a role in the way we handle rejection? Because sometimes I feel like you kind of not have to have tough skin, but have to be confident in, you know, this job wasn't the right fit for you, but you will find the right job if you keep searching and if you keep doing the work. Yes, rejection is hard. Let's just be honest about that. It's not easy to have somebody tell you that this thing that you were really excited about you're not going to get it. Nobody likes that. It doesn't matter how advanced you are in your career. Rejection always hurts a little bit or is at least a little bit disappointing. So it's very natural to feel that. And I have had so many rejections in my life, but I think this really good quote, rejection is redirection, right? So you are going to get the job that is meant for you. You are going to find the right fit. And I have found that in my life, that really happens, Alhamdulillah, even when you are super crushed about something. I've had things that I worked so hard for and ended up like not getting it because of some issue. And then I look on it back on it years later, even if or even maybe a few months later, I'm like, you know, it's actually a really good thing that I didn't do that because I would have been in this situation and this happened. And oh, my gosh, like Allah subhanahu wa really protected me by not doing not letting me go there. And I got to do all these cool things in the meantime instead. So I think that understanding that. Also, there is no one career path for anything anymore. People think that like, I have to have this job, the specific job at this specific company to get to where I want to go. And that's just not how it is, especially in DC where I am. Well, everybody does random things before they get to the top or, and they continue to do random things. And so it helps take a little bit of the pressure off. I know in fields like accounting, which we were in or which I wasn't and you're in, it is more linear where it's like you start with an associate, senior manager, senior manager, partner, or, you know, like it's... It's very linear and that is how it happens and that's fine but recognizing which kind of field you're in are you in something that's super linear or are you in something that allows room for creativity can help you understand you know what's important but yeah it's really you know rejection is redirection use it as motivation to find what is going to be the best fit for you and don't take it personally people apply i mean people who are reviewing applications maybe get hundreds of applications I know when I was applying to Hill jobs before I got my um, fellowship on the Hill, I would get so many rejection letters. I'm like, I don't understand. I have all this experience. Like, why don't you want me? And it could be something stupid like, well, you don't already have Hill experience. And that's just how the industry works, which is so dumb. I'm glad you brought that up. It's so dumb. Like, how do you want, how do you want my sister to get this (laughs) if I don't, if you're not going to hire me? And, And you cannot take that personally, right? You cannot take that personally. And even if you get an interview and still don't get it, you can't take that personally. It's really just 
how things work. Obviously, if you're continuing to get a lot of rejection letters, you might want to take some time and sit down and think, okay, is there something I could differently? For you, it was the cover letter, right? For other people, it might be hiring a career coach. People come to me and be like, hi, I've been searching for a job for like six months and I'm not even getting interviews. And I'm like, okay, let's look at your resume and cover letter then because that's the first step to getting an interview, right? Say you, I had one girl that was getting interviews, but she was never getting the job. And so for her, it was her interview skills. So we worked on that. And then after that, she told me like she got multiple offers and her boss told her she was the best interview she had ever had. So really taking a hard look at yourself and being like, okay, is there something that I could be doing differently than I did before? Look at yourself, be able to look at yourself critically. But again, don't be hard on yourself about it and be like, all right, what do I need to do to step my game up? What's what's the issue here? Get advice get a coach, have somebody look over your resume cover later like you had your friend do and, and, and see if there's everything, if you're doing everything possible to put yourself in the best position and best light. Exactly. I basically, instead of giving myself a head start, I kind of moved myself backwards by not having an updated resume, by not applying to the right potential job opportunities that I was looking for, not having the cover letter. There was so much. I thought for some odd reason, like, yeah, just submitting a resume is going to get me what I want. It's not that way anymore, you know, at all whatsoever. Things have changed. And again, it depends on what career path that you're applying to and everything like that. I want to end this on a good note. I want to talk about compensation. But compensation can also be tricky because oftentimes, I mean, recently when I'm applying for jobs, there was a box or there's a question that asks, like, what is your expected salary for this position? Sometimes I feel like, am I asking for too much? And then right away, they scrap my resume or my application because they're like, oh no, we don't pay that. So how can I find out what the expected salary range should be? And then I can go from there and basically write down my own, I guess, expected salary, what I expect to be paid at this new job. Oh yeah. Compensation is a tricky issue and it's not black and white for sure. So I think what you can do is arm yourself with good knowledge. There's a great website called Glassdoor where you can go and put in the company name. You can hopefully find the position that you're applying for and see the range. But again, it's a range usually. It's not like this is exactly how much they make. And that review might be a couple years old. So you don't even know if that number is accurate. So my advice for those boxes is actually to put negotiable and then see what number they give you, right? I think that's the best way is to actually let them talk first. I've only had one interview where they demanded to know what salary it was. And it was the weirdest interview I'd ever been in where we hadn't even talked about the job yet. And they were like, how much do you want? And, you know, that was another thing that after my emotional intelligence leadership training, I went back and I told them because they they actually came back to me to apply for like a, a much higher level job. And I was like, you know what? I actually wouldn't be comfortable going through the, like referring somebody or even myself after that experience where you made it sound like I was just there for the money and that's not what I was there for at all and they apologized and I appreciate that but I wish I had had the guts to say that during the interview because it was so weird because I was like I know I'm not supposed to be giving you a number right now we haven't even talked about the job yet this that is the is first very interview awkward, to be honest it was so weird yeah. it was so weird and 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 it was hurtful too because it made it seem like that that's all I cared about so I would say that you know let them give you a number first and that number usually is going to come after like the third interview or when they're offering you the job in the nonprofit space it is becoming increasingly common for people to write the salary range on the job position just so people know like this is what you're going to be working with it's not going to go lower than this it's not going to go higher than this and i actually appreciate that because it's more open 
I know a lot of people do that because they just have a budget They're They literally can't go above a certain amount and they don't want to hurt, like, you know, dash your hopes if you come in expecting to get way more. Because it is true, Dunya, like maybe that is why somebody could have knocked you off because I'm like, this is just too high or this is and that's fine. So I think ranges help a lot. But yeah, I think my advice is let them come to you with a number, ask them what range that they are looking for. And then you can say whether you're more comfortable in the higher end of the range, the middle end of the range, or you can just say, okay, if you're fine with any of that range. And, and it kind of puts takes the pressure a little bit off of you and lets you make a decision and see if that works for you or not. I found myself in a tricky position because being a what tenured, I guess, accountant and trying to now have a career transition. So I would technically now be almost like entry level in this in this career transition. It was very tricky because it's like I expect to get paid higher if I'm getting a new job. But it's like, how can I get paid higher if I'm going to an entry level? So that was very tricky. And I noticed like there was a job position that before I even noticed their salary range, I was going to ask for something else. And yeah, right away, I would have they would have scrapped my resume because they would be like, no, that's that's not what we want. Like, that's not what we're expecting. So it's very interesting for those who are going through a career transition. But for those of us who, for those who are not, your advice is so incredible. It's so, it's it's very helpful, um, everything that you've shared. I guess my last point is when you do receive that offer and they never gave you that salary range from before, how important is it for us to always negotiate the, the salary that was presented to us? Do you think that we should always do it? Or if they give us a number and we're happy with it, just take it. What are your thoughts on that? I will add one piece that you said about the career transitions and that people need to be realistic and understand that, yeah, sometimes it does mean taking or a lot of times it means taking a salary cut. I definitely did for me. I remember like I made a career transition and it was trying to come back to D.C. and I was making less, a couple, a little bit less than what I made my first year out of college working in accounting. And, and at this point, I was how many years out of school, like quite a few years out of school. And, you know, make sure you're in a good position financially to support yourself to be able to make a career transition. A lot of people can't do that because they just need income for whatever life circumstances they have. And that's perfectly understandable and OK. So just make sure you have a little bit. And it, it might take quite a while. I feel like especially in D.C. here, we are hustling for a long time. It might be a while before you're making the amount of money that you should be making because you've got to catch up and you're dealing with a competitive industry. So, you know, be aware that you might be a little shocked at at what you're making. But if you're really passionate about it, you know, you can take it or if it's for the short term, you know, you can take it. So as far as your question about negotiation, yes, you should negotiate salary after they give the offer. And I would say that you can either have a phone call about it or write an email to them about it. And remember what you're asking should be reasonable, right? So I had one client that I worked with that got a job offer and he was like, you know, I would really like this to be more in line with what I was making before to like make sense for my career trajectory because he was kind of in the same industry and everything. He didn't have any issues of career change. And I was like, all right, let's do that. So we wrote an email together and where he he said something like, you know, I was wondering if there's any room for negotiation in this as I would like to keep it in line with my career trajectory or you had mentioned this range. And I don't remember if they had given a range and he wanted the higher end of the range or he had just said point blank that he would, you know, would like, a, you know, see if it's negotiable. And, you know, and then he also asked for an opportunity to have a review after six months because that could help you know, if he's performing well, then they could start maybe paying him more because he's taking on more responsibility. Right. And they came back and they said yes to the career uh, or to the salary raise to a number that he liked. And they said that he could have a review and maybe I think they said seven, eight months, something like that. So it really worked out for him because he negotiated that increase up front and there was a potential for another increase and a title bump, you know, in six, seven, eight months down the road. So you can definitely negotiate if somebody is really excited about you, they're going to be open to it. 
I would say the most important thing about salary negotiation is to not give too much backstory about like why you need to do something or I have this obligation that I have to pay for. That's not really what the employer cares about. What they care about is what value are you bringing them and what makes you an employee that they should invest in. So you need to talk about that. And also, you know, it is important for you to keep things in line with your own career path and your own career trajectory, right? So it's like if you were making a certain amount, you want to keep going up. You don't want to decrease or be stagnant. And they understand that. So it was fine that he said, you know, I would like to keep this in line with my career growth. So just explaining in really simple terms like that is really all you need to do. And if you get an offer that you like and you just want to take it, I always say negotiate a little bit still. (laughs) I just think it can't hurt. You know, I'm kind of the uh, viewpoint that you should always try. I've even done that for like a government job where like, it was like, no, they were like, no, unless you have this and this, we cannot do this. And I, I still tried. So I, I am more of the proponent of try and you never know you'll be even more happy that you got, you know, even a better offer than what you, what you originally got. So I think there's no harm in doing that. There is no harm, especially when you got the job. I mean, it's not like you're losing the job. You're just asking if there's a possibility to get a different form of compensation, especially you want to also to align with your cost of living too. I mean, that's always on the rise. So that's also important for your new potential job to also acknowledge that like my job does that, which is incredible. I'm pretty sure that most jobs do that as well. I mean, it's probably a necessity that they have to do that. But I really want to thank you, Adada. This was just so important. Informative, it's incredible. I felt like this was information that really helped me. And I really hope that also helps those who are just right out of college, those who are transitioning their careers so much. I think we covered everything. Is there anything else, any lasting piece of advice that you would like to give the listeners that probably even potentially helped you and you would like to just kind of like share that as well with the rest of us? Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. I had so much fun in this conversation. I think a a really good piece of advice that I got during this, uh, my last kind of job searching process was that, Always remember that the job search is going to be way more urgent for the job seeker than it is for the person who is hiring. And it can be a soul crushing process and it can be miserable, but it actually leaves you stronger for your belief in yourself and empathetic for others in the process. So always remember that you are growing and learning through this, like any difficult experience, job searching is also difficult. So always remember that. And then when you become later into a position where you're going to be hiring people, you're going to remember what it was like to go through that. And you're going to try to get back to people quickly. And you're going to at least let them know if they didn't move to the next round instead of leaving them in the dark. So just remember that it always seems more urgent for you than it does to them. And keep that in perspective as you're going through it and be patient with yourself and be patient with the process and know that what's meant for you is never going to miss you. And just be happy that, you know, we have something like that. It's just, you don't have to take all the stress and worry about it. It's it's going to work out, inshallah. Yeah, honestly, just even just our faith. I mean, um, I had to remind myself, like when I was getting down and out because of the rejection letters, I was like, no, like subhanAllah, like Allah's protecting me from something and he's probably preparing me for something even greater that is truly meant for me. So that's honestly what's keeping me going. But for those of you who want to continue these conversations with Warada, you have so many incredible, like you said, Instagram TVs, reels, and just even posts and they're called Career Combos with Warada and it's on your social media and it's Warada Khaled underscore. So I'll be sharing that in the episode notes. Is there any other way that people can contact you? I know you have a website as well, don't you? 
Yes, I have a website. You go to whatarthehollid.com and I have a page on there for my career coaching and I also have a page for my workshops. I did a series of workshops. I'm doing them in July. I just did one last week on resume and cover letter essentials. The next one is on LinkedIn best tips and then the next one is on interview prep. And these are interactive sessions. They're about an hour and a half long and people really get to dig deep. And I was sitting there helping people edit their resumes during the workshop and people were helping each other and really had good feedback. And same thing actually with the cover letters somebody told me she was like I never had the confidence to write one before thank you so much for the confidence so yes you could definitely reach out there or joining one of those or you can book one-on-one consulting sessions with me for career coaching if you want me to look over something or help you through practicing for an interview or if you're having trouble and you hit a bump in the road you can reach out and book a session there and all the contact information is on my website I mean Michelle this was like a very high level overview of the things that you do offer so if you guys enjoyed this conversation I'm pretty sure that you're going to learn so much from what the, if you do the one-on-one coaching or even like you said, the interactive sessions, which is incredible. So I just want to thank you for lending yourself, Warda, because you, mashallah, look, are probably really busy. You're probably somebody that is also spread thin, but you still find the time to help your community and to help other women. And those of us that, yeah, we're looking to change our careers. We're looking for the next opportunity, mashallah. So inshallah, ya Rab, we all succeed. Inshallah. Thank you so much again, Warda, for just being a guest on the podcast. I've learned so much from you. And again, I'm somebody who does follow you on social media and I learned so much from your post and they're just great tidbits. So once again, I really hope that, you know, people really benefited from this conversation. Yeah, thanks so much, Tonya. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. I think that one thing that I think about when I think about my community work is about leadership and leadership is not look at me. Leadership has come with me. And what is the point of me breaking down these barriers and kicking butt in DC and doing all these things if other people can't come with me and and do it too, right? So that's how I see it is like, I want an army of women empowered and other people, not just women, yes. you know, other people <laughs> who want to be empowered that are un- underrepresented in our communities and our in our work and, you know, coming with me and helping to increase, you know, greatness, whether it's in media, whether it's in policy, whether it's in accounting, what have you. So I appreciate the conversation and I'm excited to continue the conversation on social media and uh, I look forward to hearing from your listeners and thank you so much for having me again. It was a pleasure. Inshallah, that's like probably the best way to end this uh, conversation. Thank you so much, Warda. 